0: The city's legal position puts the media at great risk and has an unacceptable chilling effect on their efforts to hold government accountable. The media is not an extension of government, period.
1: That's Seattle City Council member Lisa Herbold speaking out about a subpoena involving the Seattle police requesting footage, images from local media. I know she wants to put a period on that statement, but this conversation is happening in court. We're going to break it down in just a moment. Welcome, gentle listeners, to Seattle News, Views, and Brews, the Coffee Break podcast that helps you focus on what's happening in local politics when things might be looking a little blurry. I'm Brian Callanan. I'm also a host on Seattle Channel. The views expressed here are my own. Joining me with eyes wide open and a smile on his face, Kevin Schofield from Seattle City Council Insight. Hello, Kevin. Hey, Brian. Now I can see across that Zoom, so I know he's got a big smile on his face. Our background noise sponsor is City Grind Espresso from the first floor of City Hall. Not open during the pandemic, but we thank them for being that sponsor for us. Thanks also to our supporters on Patreon. A growing number, thank you very much. We welcome a new sponsor this week, his initials CH. Glad to have you on board, sir. If you want to support local journalism yourself, please do chip in. Just a few bucks a month means a lot. Okay, let's get started with right here, right now. Okay, we're going to begin with the Seattle Police Department's efforts to subpoena unedited digital images and raw video from the Seattle Times, all four local TV stations, from a protest that turned violent on May 30th. So the police are trying to solve an arson and firearms theft case. Someone set fire to six SPD vehicles, stole five loaded guns two of which have not been recovered. Specifically, officers want video photos from a time period of about 3.30 to 5 in the afternoon from Olive Street to Pike and 4th Avenue to 6th Avenue. Kevin, before we start talking about the hearing that you recently attended on this, I wanna go big picture. I thought Michelle Matassa Flores, executive editor for the Times framed this very well. She and the other media outlets are opposed to the subpoena, but that does not mean she wishes to protect criminals. If protesters had sued for unpublished footage, same problem here. This isn't about the parties involved. It's about this role of journalism in society and the danger of having the free press seen as agents of the government or anyone else.
0: Right. And this is an issue that has been kicking around for at least 300 years. Yeah, right. And and, and debated very heavily about, about the extent to which um, the press should be exempt from these sorts of things. And, yeah. Uh, there's a you know long-standing statement which says that the public has the right to every man's evidence, mm-hmm, right? right? And and there've been some court rulings about this over the years, going back since the begin really the beginning of the country about this. Yeah. And you know, it, and it's trying to find this tricky balance. On one hand, we want to make sure that um, that, that you know we live up to this statement that that um, our system of justice, including things like grand juries have the opportunity to uh, to get evidence from everybody. And yes, right. journalists are citizens too, and, yep. and residents too. And they have a responsibility, you know, if if, if, if they get, you know, if, if, if anyone gets pulled, you know, gets asked uh, to go testify to a grand jury, right? They're compelled to do that, right? Yep. Legally, they have to go do that. And re- you know, at that level, journalists are really no different than yes. anyone else to do that. But the flip side is, It really harms journalism if people start seeing journalists and the news media as a tool of the government. Yeah, yeah. If they can pull from the news media you know, at any time, any footage or evidence or anything like that, it is a couple of things. One, yeah, it, it makes people widely suspect the media and why yeah. they're there or not. Which not is getting hammered them,
1: as right? it is right now right. in our society. But then, you know,
0: there's also effects on journalists, too, right? Yeah. And there's sort of the media effect of does it put journalists in harm's way? Mm-hmm. Does it create real hazards for them? And we've already seen yeah. over the last several years and, you know, longstanding people attack journalists, whether yes. it's police, yes. whether it's protesters, yeah. whether it's, you know, people who've, you know, been wound up by Donald Trump saying that the news media is the enemy of the people. Sure, right. And he's certainly not the first politician in history to, to make no. a
1: statement like that. Very true, right? yeah.
0: A very strong, you know, populist, uh, you know, tactic to do that, right? Yeah. But then there's another piece here, which is that, you know, if the government can subpoena the new footage from mm-hmm. news media, right? Yep. Well, then, you know, people wanting to prosecute the police department, can also, you know, subpoena that, right? And don't think that the police department aren't going to figure that out, right? Police officers know that journalists sitting there at the scene of something going on may end up one day defending themselves in court against the footage being collected by that journalist. Sure, sure. That is going to influence the way they they treat those journalists.
1: Yeah, no, I think so. And I think we're talking about this whole concept of, dealing with the institution of journalism and then as you say just the safety of actual journalists who are out on the street we've seen it over the past couple weeks there have been some protesters who have and police who have dealt with journalists in a different way uh, harassing them uh, getting involved with them physically some of the protesters have even posted their personal information online etc so this is a real test going forward here kevin And i think just to whittle it down a little bit further this becomes a test of our state's shield law. So we've got the overall, what's going on in the U.S. with this and the Supreme Court's talked about that. But when it comes down to it, this is a test of our state's shield law for journalists. And that really has not been tested as you brought up in your column recently.
0: Yeah, so the U.S. Supreme Court has ruled on you know, this sort of thing occasionally, but mostly what they've said is it's up to the states yes. to, to decide what to do here. And yeah. Washington state is one of several states that have passed a so-called shield law, yeah. which says when The government can actually subpoena materials right Mm -hmm. and uh uh, but ours there's been one civil case and there have been no criminal cases where it's actually been tested so this is kind of new territory for the courts so um king county security court justice nelson lee yes uh, has been has been holding hearings on this and he's ruled that the local news media who are subpoenaed actually have to turn over footage what he said though is At this point, they have to give it to him. They have to okay. give it to, to, to the court. Mm-hmm. And he will review it. was going to cancel his two-week vacation to just spend the time and go through and yeah. decide which – Hours and ruling, hours of stuff. Yeah, okay. Which is really relevant and mm-hmm. only
1: hand over those relevant parts to the police department's right, department. Right, trying to be more specific about what is actually right. handed over. Uh-huh. Right.
0: But he's also putting a 21-day stay on, on, on this ruling because it's yeah. one of the things where, like, you can't put the genie back in the bottle. Right? Yeah. Once right. you hand this footage over to SPD, they have this footage, right? Yeah. And they know what's in it, yeah. right? And so he's putting a 21-day stay because the news media indicated they're probably going to appeal this.
1: Right? Yeah, yeah. I, this is going to be one that uh, it goes on for a little, little while. And I, I think it's an important conversation to have. But I, I should point out, this is just one of the legal cases, if you want to call it that, involving the city and its police department right now. Kevin, I want to talk about the case brought on by Black Lives Matter, the ACLU. They are saying during a protest July 25th, the city violated an injunction about the use of crowd control weapons from U.S. District Court Judge Richard Jones, brother of Quincy Jones. Don't know if you knew that, but if you're keeping score at home, now you know. This is a matter regarding evidence and how to examine it. Apparently, close to 1,400 videos from police officers, those body-worn cameras. We're talking about all that footage there. The federal courthouse, though, is closed during the pandemic, so how do you review that? How do you investigate that? Can we tackle that part first because that logistic piece is a big part of this case
0: yeah that is so in the in the motion that the black lives matter and aclu filed this week they want the judge to hold uh, spd in contempt for violating mm-hmm. it yeah. and uh, contempt is a very serious charge against yeah. someone it can be it can be either a civil charge or a criminal charge in this case It's a it's a civil charge, but you know, it's the kind of thing where there can be big fines people can yeah. go to jail over this sort of thing Yeah, if it happens in the courtroom, then the judge can rule immediately if it happens outside the courtroom you know outside of the immediate purview of, of, of what the judge can see and happen in his court then you know you have to collect evidence and people have to testify and all yes that sort of and, it, and it requires you know an evidentiary he- hearing right mm-hmm. and you know as part of that and the reason for all that is because the defendant has the right to defend themselves against all of that. course their own evidence and their own yes. testimony and all those things right right and that's what the city is saying it's like hey this is serious charge we have the right to defend ourselves against this we want an evidentiary hearing and and the judges agreed with them and yeah so he is now they, they had they just had a hearing this mm-hmm. past Friday on what was originally going to be sort of on the merits of, of this charge. And, yes. and the judges now said, no, we're going to do an evidentiary hearing. And so this this hearing this past Friday was really about sort of the logistics of all that. Yes. And one part was right. just like, what's the timing of it? So he decided that he's going to start the hearing on August 26th, and it's going yeah. to run through uh, September 1st. The city wanted more time to prepare because, as you mentioned, they've got almost 1,400 yeah. body-worn videos from police officers yeah, that go through and incident reports and mm-hmm. all this other stuff that, yeah. that they have to sort of piece together and all this stuff. Yeah. At the same time, you know, the the other thing that, that was asked for in this complaint was changes, more, you know, modifications to Judge Jones's uh, preliminary injunction mm-hmm. to try to kind of tighten up that, you know, the, the reins a little bit on, uh-huh. on SPD and what they can do with these crowd control yeah Uh, and judge Jones said i'm not going to do that right now because you know what they really asked for the the, you know aclu and black lives matter said that it was just clarifications and Mm. judge said no you're asking for (laughs) a lot more than that it's really a new injunction and that requires going through that entire process so i can't just give that to
1: you right and and he's making he's talking to both sides here about trying to try to talk to each other a little bit better as this continues here.
0: Yeah, you know, and, and he, he he finished up the hearing this morning by really kind of admonishing both sides a little bit and saying, look, you're stirring the pot with this contempt thing, right? And, you know, if you're making me go through this and I will go through this, and he didn't say, but I'm really unhappy with this. But yeah. it was clear he was pretty unhappy with it. Yeah. right? And, you know, he said, look, the big issues are really, really important, mm-hmm. right? How do we protect the right to protest? Yeah. What Police are the use right of force all of it. Yeah. On on you know, proper policing mm-hmm. and use of crowd control weapons. Really big important serious issues. And this whole contempt thing kind of feels like a sideshow.
1: Yeah. It, well it'll be interesting to see how this plays out because I there was another great piece of evidence by great, I mean very interesting to look at here. Seeing and how the different tactics from protesters, using they're using these things to kind of keep police blocked out. This evidence that was submitted by Lieutenant Brooks in this case shows this very militaristic kind of schematic that the police found online. They found this here, apparently distributed by some of the protesters. So on the outside of the protest, you've got the frontliners, as they're called, with umbrellas to block off cameras, projectiles. Then shield soldiers, as they were said to to be behind them. Then other people a light mage, if you will, with a laser pointer to disable drones or surveillance cameras. This a very organized effort to put a peaceful shell, it looks like, around some people, apparently very focused on being violent in different ways.
0: I've seen that diagram uh, and I posted it with my articles that I wrote about it. Yeah. I wouldn't even say it's a peaceful shell around it. I mean, mm, yeah. you know, they, they they shine those uh, laser pointers in the eyes the of police yeah. officers, right, which yeah. is incredibly dangerous. There yeah. right? they're, are they're, you know, other, They, you know, have ways of scooping up the tear gas canisters and throwing them back at the police. Yeah, right, right, right. So you know, it's certainly very well organized. I don't know if I'd put the term militarized on top Mm. of it. I'll let other people sort of decide for themselves about. Yeah, when they call themselves
1: soldiers or whatever else, that that was what drew me. I just thought it was very chilling to see it, Kevin.
0: Well, yeah, the police are organized. We can yeah. assume that the, the protests are organized too, whether they're organized for peaceful purposes, organized for violent purposes. You know, we have community organizers, right? That's right. Yeah, the right. you know Capitol Hill organized protest.
1: Right? Yes, right, right, right. What does that mean when it comes they, to organizing?
0: Yeah, I mean, I, I don't think it's wrong for them to be organized, right? I think we have to ask what intent they're
1: getting organized for. That 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 is the big piece of this. And we're gonna keep on talking about what's going on with Seattle Police as we move on to Now Hear This. Okay, so this is a part of the show where we listen in on some of the sound bites that tell the story from the past week. This time around, we're talking about the concept of defund the police. During a three and a half hour budget committee meeting, the council heard from more than 300 people. Como News estimated about 90% of the speakers were in favor of defunding the police, cutting their budget in half, this year included. Let's listen to a few viewpoints here. I believe defunding SPD is necessary because a budget is
0: a statement of values. And if the city, we say we value black lives and support today's movement, then it's time for our budget to reflect that.
1: 85% of the police budget is salary based removing 50% of the police budget, you would force the city to fire up to 800 officers and crime will skyrocket. Okay, so a voice in support of defunding police, then the voice of Mike Solon of the Seattle Police Officers Guild. Kevin, I think it's important to point out that the council, as we record this podcast, is working on the non-police related issues to help rebalance the 2020 budget, trying to continue COVID relief, other matters there. But this work to defund the police as part of the budget has been pushed back to August, August 10th now. They're giving themselves a little bit more time on this.
0: They've already started the conversation about specific amendments that they that they want to look at doing. Right, a lot of them. Uh, and they passed a resolution, or sorry, they haven't passed it yet, but they're working on a resolution to kind of lay out a timeline uh, to the end of 2021, really, to, to look at kind of the, the bigger picture of everything that they want to do and kind of stage it out in, in, in pieces because, you know, there's legislative changes they have to make, there's legislative changes to the city charter, which require a voter approval. There's state law changes. There's contracts that need to get renegotiated. There's a lot of stuff that really goes into this. Um, but you know, it's, it's a, it's a complex effort. You know, I think uh, one of the things that we're seeing in the short term with, the you know, the, the efforts in, in 2020 is, you know, a a little bit of a um, tension within the council of, yeah, you know how much they should try to go after right away and and right you know, there was a there was a pull out by uh, emc research last yes. week which said that just over 50 percent of seattle's population you know within the margin of error um supports you know making some some big changes to the police yes there was le- clearly less strong support for you know, an arbitrary figure of fifty percent—that's
1: the tough one. Yeah, that's uh, the sticking point for but, a lot of
0: people. Uh, but, but there was definitely you know a fair amount of support. But you know, this is really a divisive issue. It, it's there was you know for none of the issues that that they that they pulled on, there was really overwhelming support. For right. Them. It's it's pretty split. It's yeah. Be-
1: well, and I think one big piece to this, Kevin, where the rubber really meets the road, some of these different amendments, and I know you looked at them too this is the council talking about cutting jobs. If they're going to get real about defunding the police or divesting money from the police and put it elsewhere, they're going to have to cut some jobs. And we're talking about layoffs across the board, mounted units, SWAT units, public affairs. This is getting very real when we talk about some of the numbers of people who might be getting laid off here. And also the challenge with this, of course, being, as it sits in the whole uh, labor organization piece of this, the officers who are first in, some of the officers that were just recruited to be officers of color, trying to help out the department in that way, they would be the first to go, and, and that's something that the council is going to have to reckon with too.
0: That is, and you know, one of one of the particular recommendations we're looking at, uh, or amendments are looking at, is cutting all fourteen uh, police officer positions from the navigation team.
1: Yes, that's, that's...
0: cutting that out, uh, and there are other you know, amendments to do the other side and, and cut the entire navigation team budget from human services department as well.
1: Right, right. Which right.
0: Le- it leads to interesting questions about in places in the city where uh, a homeless encampment shows up, sure. like if one gets put on a school playground mm-hmm. or in the middle of a sidewalk or, you then know, what do you do? out, out mm-hmm. on the side of a street, who, whose job is it to deal with that now mm-hmm. if we don't have a navigation? You can, you can definitely have issues with you know, with, with some of the tactics in the navigation team and yep. the fact that their actions are really constrained at this point by the number of open shelter spaces. Sure, right. Gavin, right. Um, which, is, which is zero on many. Yeah. right. But there are still problematic homeless encampments mm-hmm. that need to be dealt with. And there has to be, you know, you can say, well, we're gonna get rid of the navigation team, but you have to answer the second half of them, which is, yeah. okay, now whose job is that?
1: Yeah, yeah. And, and, that's, and that's really what the council is talking about for this 2020 rebalancing. And as you say, a conversation that I know is going to be going into next year as they work on that continuing budget cycle of reimagining the police, as, as they call it. Uh, Kevin, I want to make sure that I touch on another issue here, still bubbling on the back burner, if you will, a possible recall vote for Mayor Jenny Durkin. King County Superior Court Judge Mary Roberts denied Durkin's request to reconsider the certification of the recall petition. So remember, there were seven charges alleged against the mayor, six thrown out. The one remaining was that Mayor Durkin did not step in to stop the use of tear gas chemical weapons during the protest, even after she was made aware of their use and was opposed to their use. So the mayor said, with regard to the decision to use those weapons, not my job, it's the police chief. But the judge is taking this a little bit more broadly, Kevin. Can you touch on that please?
0: Yeah. So um, what the the mayor asked the Dutch to reconsider, filed yeah. an official motion for reconsideration. Yes. And said, pointed to the you know, the city charter and said, It is not the, the mayor's responsibility to set policy for S P D. Yes. Right. That is the chief of police's yeah and And the judge came back and said, "I hear you on that mm-hmm. but it is in the city charter the mayor's responsibility to maintain the public health and safety of everyone in Seattle right, right. and so from the point of view of whether the mayor has not fulfilled that responsibility, mm-hmm. this is a charge that is legally sufficient to be something that the voters may recall you
1: on right and and the judge has a very narrow role here. The judge is not saying this happened or whatever. She, right. she, that, that's not the role of the judge here. She's just working on bringing this forward. I want to make sure that we're clear about that.
0: Yeah. Yeah. So her role is not to say this charge is true or this charge is false. That's up right. to the
1: voters. Yep.
0: It's her job to say, if it is true, then is this legally sufficient
1: to recall the mayor? Whew, man, do you see this going forward? This, this is such a fascinating side story behind they, they everything else the, that's going on.
0: Well, so, you know, once it's officially certified and there's no more appeals and all that stuff, then they will have 180 days to collect signatures. Yeah. And they need 50,000 signatures. Wow. So that's... That's not an easy task.
1: No, no, especially in the day and age of of COVID here, trying to track that down. I mean, we're seeing it on the state ballot this November. We don't have a lot of stuff on there. It's pretty thin. And I think part of that at least is because this whole citizen initiative uh, piece is is not happening a ton. People aren't going out and collecting signatures.
0: Yeah, and this one will definitely not make the November.
1: Right, 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 right.
0: The deadline is next week to get stuff on that, right? That ain't
1: happening. Yeah, okay. All right. Well, thank you for your insight there. Let's move on to what's next. Mm -hmm. Okay, briefly, Kevin, I wanted to touch on the Transportation Benefit District. Council members approved putting it on the ballot. They did not ask for the maximum amount they could have, a 0.2% sales tax for added bus service, but they did bump it up from the mayor's proposed 0.1%. So here we are in the middle, now a 0.15% tax bump. They also decided not to make this a four-year measure. It's still going to be a six-year measure, bringing in about $42 million per year. There's a lot at play here. Yes, this is a regressive sales tax. You hear everybody talking about that. But yes, also, it's regressive to cut funding for transit. How do you think the council threaded the needle here, I guess?
0: Well, they went out and got a lot of community feedback. True, true. On this, right. And, and, you know, asked members of representatives of, of low-income communities and, you know, underserved communities, which is more important to you. Right. Paying, you know, a little more tax. and and having a transit or keeping the tax rate low and losing the transit. And the the transit is just an essential service for for a lot of folks. And not only to get, you know, commute downtown to a job, just to get around inside their community. Sure, sure. And so, you know, what they, they, they seem to have heard pretty clearly the message that the community would rather pay a little bit more and make sure that they can get that really Robust transit service yeah. in the low-income communities that really, really need it. So that you know that's important. The other yeah. big message is, uh, you know, and all the council feels this, is that we really need a regional solution, yeah. Yeah. on this King County wide, right. So, but then the question for them, and this came back to this whole issue of four years or six years, is, sure, which is going to put more pressure on on the the on county, the county to
1: do something, yeah,
0: other county partners to really sort of step up and get involved and negotiate something. Right. Yeah, and there, there are arguments. There's logic either way to yeah. whether four years would be better or six years to be better. The soonest it's going to come up, uh, really, you know, realistically, as a regional transit benefit district would be in 2024. Yeah, um, yeah. So then, if 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 this were expiring, the one that's now going to be on, on our ballot here for mm-hmm. the city, if that expired in 2024, that's you know that's pretty high stakes high stakes poker.
1: Yeah. Right? Right. right. Especially and, you know, because the move Seattle measure will be on the ballot then too, which is an, another transportation piece. But keep going, Kevin.
0: And that's the same issues that come in, come up this year with, did we go with a 0.15% yeah, yeah, yeah. or mm-hmm. 20, 0.2%? It's like, well, this is, you know, all or nothing high stakes poker that we're playing here, right? Because now yeah. it's up to the, to the voters. And the, they're not voting on, well, should we make it 0.15% or 0.2%? They're voting on all or nothing. Right. Yeah. We either have this tax or we don't have this tax. Yeah. That's right. Mm-hmm. So, so the city council members were like, "Well, if we push it up to 2.2 percent in the middle of a COVID pandemic, yeah, right, and recession, yeah, that going to be too much for people, and they're mm-hmm. going to vote no.
1: Yeah. And know. if we back
0: it down a little bit to set." You know, do we feel a little less nervous
1: about whether voters will say yes? I'm I'm not quite sure. I, there's there's a lot for voters to consider there as as they look at their ballot in November. I should point out that that vote for the TBDs coming up in November. I hope you also exercised your civic duty, voted in the August primary. No local measures, but plenty of state and federal voting to take care of. And I hope you had a good time sorting through 36 names of candidates running for governor. Best nickname I'm going to go out on a limb here: retired firefighter Martin L. Iceman Wheeler, the headline in the Nisqually Valley News, the Iceman runneth. I couldn't get enough of that one. Uh, I got to get back to some more serious news here, though. Talking about protests that have been going on at council members' homes, the mayor's home as well, a number of tribal leaders stood up for council member Deborah Juarez this past week after people were protesting outside her home, writing messages, street graffiti too. Council member Peterson has had messages written on his windows calling him racist trash, among other things. I know Council President Gonzalez has said this needs to stop. We don't want to push this too far, but this is one of those things where I wonder where it ends up. The council really is listening to a lot of progressive voices right now, but some of them are apparently crossing the line here.
0: Well, and you know, and this is an age-old you know topic for mm-hmm. uh, for you know issues that protesters really have to struggle with. It's, yes. You know, the, the whole purpose of protest is to raise attention to, to, to uh, particular issues by disrupting other people's comfort right mm-hmm. whether it's blocking traffic downtown sure, or night five, right. or you know making a whole bunch of noise late at night going through a neighborhood okay. to to push the comfortable people who feel no particular pressure to pay attention to this issue right and you know that applies to elected officials as well right yeah so uh you know the the protesters showed up at the mayor's house as well yep. as Councilman Petersons and and Juarez, and and they've you know they defaced their property right yeah. and they wrote yeah.
1: you know some pretty incendiary they, things yeah
0: they spray painted profanities on windows and walls and the street outside yeah street places. But, you know, this past week, they also showed up at Councilmember Morales' house.
1: Herbold as well. Yeah.
0: And, mm-hmm. and Herbold. And uh, they uh, just a few nights ago went through um, Council President Gonzalez's neighborhood as well. Yeah. So went down and talked to him for a while.
1: Right. So, right.
0: you know, it's it appears that they're not really singling out anybody. They're really going after all. OK. The OK.
1: Yeah. Uh, they certainly I, I will start. say that the level, the language that I'm seeing and things of that nature, I, I think those right. words matter. And that's a concern.
0: Yeah. And, and, and uh, you know, the two they started with, the two council members they started with, uh, Peterson and Juarez, mm-hmm. were the two that had not committed to a 50 percent cut in the police.
1: Right. Yeah. I, I know that Councilmember Juarez has said, we, we don't want a uh, uh, made up number. We want a real solution here. So I, I know there's still a lot ahead with that one. And thank you for your insight there. Uh, we always try to wrap up our show with uh, something something sweet as we get your coffee break. Coming to a close here, we have sampled small bakeries around Seattle, women and black-owned bakeries. Make sure you keep that up. Keep something in your oven too, Kevin. Today's treat that I am bringing to the table again, baked by one of my daughters. I'm going to put this up to the screen here. You can see it. It is uh, there's my mouth watering again. It is a lavender tea bread. I wonder if you can actually Ooh, see some of that. Sounds right. really good. Yeah, we're going crazy on the lavender there. Uh, <laughs> we've got a bunch in the backyard. But the challenge I present is this, and maybe you can actually see it on the bread here. There's this wonderful sugary glaze on the top, but Mm -hmm. then certain unidentified family members are picking this off as they nibble away at this. I just want to settle once and for all. If you're going to have some, cut off a slice. Kevin, where do you stand on the slice versus nibble debate? I need to know. Oh, no. Oh, don't, don't say it. Are you a nibbler, Kevin? Is that what you're telling me?
0: I, you know, I leave it up to people's moods. Oh, no. I'm not going to tell people how to eat this stuff. But what about the sugary topping? Come on. Okay. Have you never eaten the top off the muffin first?
1: Well, it's the best part of the muffin. Yeah. I mean, I've, I've you, been there.
0: So when you get a slice of cake, do you eat yeah. the frosting first or do you, do you eat the inside and kind of create a I'm cake?
1: A, I'm a combo guy. I got to have the frosting and the cake together. Too much frosting. Yeah, look, it's,
0: you know, diversity
1: is good. We oh, have, boy. We here we, we go.
0: different approaches <laughs> to this stuff.
1: <laughs> all right. Well, we're going to keep talking about this one, Kevin. Stay with the story all night if we have to. Don't don't let the word get
0: out on this, because you'll end up with protesters outside your house. If <laughs> right.
1: That, you know, <laughs> cake people. Yeah, careful, careful on that one. Uh, Kevin, as always, thank you for your knowledge of the oven in the kitchen and the pressure cooker of Seattle politics, too. I appreciate it, man. Thanks. All right. Next time you want to know what's going on with local politics, give us a listen on Seattle News Views and Brews. Find out what's brewing. You can reach us via email, Brews at gmail.com. Subscribe on iTunes, Spotify, and please, please support us on Patreon if you like what you're hearing. Thanks, as always, for listening. Seattle News, Views, and Brews is an independent production of Calaman Media Services. Copyright 2020.